0: Welcome Stapleton Church, wherever you are, I am so glad you're joining us today. Whether you're sitting on your couch, you're in your living room, maybe it's from your home office or somewhere else, maybe you're in your pajamas, maybe you're sipping that coffee and having breakfast. I am so glad that you are joining us today. My name is Matt Wolfe, I'm the lead pastor here at Stapleton Church, and we're going to jump into our message here, but I just want to say I'm so glad that you are worshiping with us together today. We are going to continue our series through Luke as we look at how we are called to be change agents. Because now, I think more than ever in perhaps the last few decades, our world needs Christians. We need Christians to step up. We need Christians who will love their neighbors and go out and serve people. Because people are hurting. Economically, people are losing their jobs. They're worried. They're struggling. They're stressed. We need Christians more than ever to step up. And be the change agents our world needs. But there's something that makes it a little unusual. Because according to statistics, even recent ones from the Pew Forum, over 70% of our nation claims to be Christian. 70%. Yet if you watch the news or you go to your store and you see people hoarding toilet paper, getting into fistfights at grocery stores over cans of food, you would think 70% doubtful. I think we would all doubt that number. How could that be true? I don't see people loving their neighbors, serving each other, uh, because if that was true, we we shouldn't have any of these issues. We should uh, be people that are uh, people of peace, not chaos, people of faith, not fear, and yet uh, all around us we see people not loving their neighbors, serving, and even hating and hurting each other. So what's going on? I think that issue is one of the tricky issues that Jesus himself addressed. 2,000 years ago, though the economic climate was different, though there may not have been a pandemic at the time, there was still a group of people who loved Jesus. We've seen it in the Gospel of Luke that crowds are following around. There's thousands and thousands of people that like Jesus. Yet how come they're not living it out? That's the question that we're going to address today because Jesus himself addressed that question in Luke chapter 8. So if you have a Bible or if you're on your smartphone at home or if you can open up a new tab in your browser, go ahead and jump to Luke chapter 8. Maybe you're following along in the YouVersion Bible app right now. You can do that and you can even take notes even though we don't have a bulletin like we have had in the past. I I want you to go to Luke chapter 8. We're going to go from verses 1 all the way to 21 today. And we're going to learn how we are called to be the change agents today by becoming real disciples of Jesus, because there is one thing that makes uh, people really stand out as real disciples, as the Christians that Jesus created us to be. And that one difference is so important that we need to learn it and live it out. It should change how we live. So let's go ahead and look together at Luke chapter eight, verse one. We read, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Notice that the twelve, of course, are the specific twelve disciples called apostles because they're the ones sent out to change the world. There's these twelve that are the main disciples of Jesus, twelve men. But then it says there's also some women there. Now, I just want to stop here. This is a bonus point for you. This is free, free today. A bonus point. If you notice this, this is world changing because up till this point, rabbis did not have female disciples. They didn't. And a disciple is someone who follows a master, follows a teacher, learns from them and tries to become like them. And Jesus was alone in the ancient world by having female disciples. He allowed these women to learn from him, become his followers. They were important and they even became leaders in the church. This is so important for us, and I want you to not miss that, how radical Jesus is for having female followers. And it says specifically these female followers were ones who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, meaning these women had had radical conversions. Radical conversions as they were transformed by the good news of Jesus out of their sinfulness and into following him. It's interesting, it, it describes three of these women, it, Luke mentions them. First, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Can you imagine that? Seven demons. Okay, this, this like puts the exorcism like, man, that's nothing. Mary had seven demons that came out of her. Seven demons that were in her. In verse 3, it says, Joanna, the wife of Chuza. And the manager of Herod's household, meaning this woman was an important person in the administration of the governor. And then lastly, Luke mentions Susanna and what does it say? Many others. There's a huge group of women, though. These three prominent women are mentioned. And then it explains why these women were there with Jesus at the time. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. There was Jesus and the 12 disciples that would go from town to town preaching the gospel, performing miracles, telling people about the kingdom of God. There was a whole bunch of financial backers, and these group of women were part of that. Think about this. Often this is missed because people want to jump straight to the parable that we're going to get to in just a second. But what Jesus is doing now is he's talking to his investors. <laughs> he's talking to his investors Right now, these are his financial backers. This is, in a sense, a shareholder meeting. He's trying to explain to them what he's doing with their money and why they should continue to invest in his ministry. Uh, I think that's important because we as a church are 100% supported by the financial contributions of you who are watching right now. That's why we encourage people to give online, and we're going to have a moment in just uh, a few minutes where you can give online or, or send in a check into our mailbox because we're completely supported by others. Jesus was the same way, completely financially supported by his investors because they're investing in a movement. And Jesus is going to explain to them why there are, in a sense, these crowds of people, thousands of people who like Jesus, yet only such a small group of disciples. What's going on? Where's the disconnect between the crowd of people who may have even said, oh, yeah, I love Jesus, And the people who are actually living like disciples. In verse 4, Jesus tells this crowd, the disciples, and to these group of female investors, he tells them a parable. In verse 5 we read, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So here's this parable that Jesus is telling, an agricultural parable, which would have been very important in an agricultural age, that... There's a farmer going out, sowing seed everywhere he goes. He's sowing it on the path. He's sowing it on rocky soil. He's sowing it on good soil that's good for farmland. And then at the very end, he says, when he said this at the end of verse 8, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is going to be an important phrase throughout our passage today. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He's saying you need to hear this, you need to understand it. This is so important. And then what's really interesting about this parable is that this one, Jesus actually explains to us. Now we could study this, pray through it, try to interpret it and say, well, why is he telling his investors and in this huge crowd of people about a farmer sowing seed? What, what's the point? But Jesus is actually going to explain it to us, which is awesome. And he starts in verse 11. Jesus says, this is the meaning of the parable. the seed." is the word of God. Verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear. Since you catch that, the people are the soil. The people are the ground. But the ones on the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy and when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. 14, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So he explains these different types of soils, different types of ground represent the different types of people who hear the word of God. Jesus is preaching them, telling them about the kingdom of heaven, this great, grand vision that God is bringing down to earth. His power is working through these miracles, through Jesus and his work and ministry, serving others and loving people, that these disciples are being formed. And this kingdom is emerging, that people are entering into it here on this earth And yet all the people, the whole crowds, everyone who's in earshot of Jesus hears the message. Yet they respond in different ways. Some reject it almost immediately. Some receive it for a time, but they grow no roots. There's no depth to it, so they fall away. Others hear it for a while, but because of the busyness of life, because of the different things, because of money, because of work, they fall away. And still others hear it and grow, mature, and produce fruit. This is interesting because we see the same thing in our church and in our world. There's hundreds, thousands of people who every week hear the message, the good news about Jesus. Some, it seems, are super excited. They raise their hand that they're saved. They get dunked in the water, baptized to proclaim to the world that they believe. And yet after sometimes a very short time, fall away. We've seen that. I've seen that in my own ministry. People are so excited about their, their newfound faith. And then a few months later, they're ghosting me. Please don't do that to me. Okay? We, we see others who it seems like they're Christians. They declare it, but they get so busy with life. You stop seeing them in church. They're not serving. They're not loving. And we wonder what, what's going on with them. Jesus is calling it like it is. This is how it is. The same people hear the same message Some respond and grow and mature and produce fruit and others don't. What Jesus is telling us is that everyone can hear it as long as it's preached to them. That's why we do what we're doing. But only some respond. Do you see how this is an important message to Jesus' financial backers? (laughs) He's trying to explain to these women, hey, I, I know you're investing money in this. I know that you're supporting me financially and you're wondering, well, hey, you're preaching to all these crowds. How come you're not making more disciples? And he's saying, hey, some people love it but then they fall away quickly. Others uh, have it for a while, and then the busyness of life drift away. And it's only a select group, maybe a small group of people who take it, develop the roots, and then begin to bear fruit in their life. And what he's trying to emphasize is those are the type of people we need. Those are the real disciples, the ones who hear it, they receive it, they retain it, and then they produce it. That's really what's going on. They receive the word of God. They hear it in their ears. Then they retain it. It goes down deep into their soul, into their heart. Bears It gets roots deep down. And then it begins to produce fruit. And of course, fruit has more seed in it that can go out and be proclaimed to others. So they receive it. They retain it. And they produce it. And Jesus is saying those are the people that are the most important. They've gotten it. They're the real disciples that I'm really focused on. And what he's saying to his investors is, you don't need to look at everybody. Of course, there are going to be crowds, but the crowds are not the most important. What's most important are the real disciples. So my question to you, wherever you're watching right now, maybe you don't even have pants on right now. Okay, Wherever you are, are you a real disciple? Are you a real disciple? That's my question. Are you a real disciple? Have you received the word? Have you retained it? And are you producing in your life? Isn't that the natural progression? You plant a seed, begins to form roots as you water it and it grows and the stem comes up. Leaves start to to emerge. We're going to be seeing that very soon. I already have some tulips in our yard that Melissa and I planted last year that are starting to come up. Hopefully this this blizzard this week didn't (laughs) take them out. But they're going to grow and then they're going to have flowers and they're going to have seeds within the flower. And that's going to be able to become more flowers or more fruit if it's a plant that produces a fruit. That's what the natural progression should be of the word of God. Receive it, retain it, produce it. Yet what Jesus is saying is that sadly some things get in the way to block that progression. Maybe it's Satan stealing it from someone's heart. Maybe it's the worries of this world, the busyness of life. There are things that get in the way and stop the natural progression of the word of God. What Jesus is saying is that real disciples allow that progression to continue to happen in their life. I was reminded, especially with the situation that we're in, of an old preacher story. Um, I think it's way back from the 80s. Who knows where it comes from? And preacher stories, of course, you never know if they're true or not. Uh, But there's a preacher story about this woman. And she was in a pastor's congregation. And every week, the pastor would preach. And this woman, she was kind of a mean, spiteful woman, very hypocritical, judgmental. Everybody knew it, though she might not have. And every week the pastor would have like an altar call at the end, ask for people to come forward and always expecting at some point that she would confess her sins, repent and become a true disciple, right? But she never did. And after every single sermon, she would come up to the pastor and she would say, well, you really told them how the cows eat the cabbages. And that's a strange saying, but what she's basically saying is you told them how it is. All those people, they needed to hear what you had to say, the word of God. They needed to hear that they needed to repent of their sins, but not me. You really told them how the cows eat them cabbages. That's what she would say. Well, one day there was a blizzard. It was a Sunday. It was a terrible blizzard and nobody could make it into church except the pastor and that one lady. So the pastor said, now's my chance. I don't have to be very general. I can be very specific and give her application for her life. I can talk about her sins and all the things she needs to repent of. So he did. His whole message was directed at this one woman that he was talking to. He even had an altar call at the end thinking, man, I've got to get her this time. But nothing he could do. He kept saying, just as I am. And she wouldn't even budge from her seat. And afterwards, as they were leaving on that snowy day, Um, She walked up to him and said, Pastor, I wish they would have been here today because you really would have told them how the cows eat them cabbages. You see, the whole time she was thinking of the other people who needed to hear that sermon instead of herself. And I'm saying this because in my message right now, everybody's thinking of the other people they know who say they're Christian, but you wonder if they're living it out. They're wondering if they're the real disciples, but I'm here to tell you that this message is for you. This message is for those who are listening right now because we need to ask ourselves, am I the real disciple? Have I let the word of God come into my ears? Am I receiving it? Am I retaining it? And am I producing it in my own life? We need to ask ourselves, am I the real disciple that our world needs right now? What Jesus is trying to emphasize is that it's not enough to go to church on Sunday to hear the word of God. It's not enough to listen to podcasts, to watch videos of your favorite preacher. It's not enough just to hear it. You've got to move beyond it. Jesus so emphasized this point. This was so important to him that he went on to tell another little illustration of why this is so important. I want you to look now with verse 16 with me. In verse 16, Jesus says, No one lights a lamp and hides it, in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. And then he explains it in verse 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Now, for a long time, I interpreted verse 16 as Jesus gives a similar illustration in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount because there he tells people to, to be a light shining for the whole world to see. But Jesus uses this illustration of a light a little bit differently here. What he's saying is that God is lighting a light and he does not want it to be hidden. He wants it to be shown to the world, meaning it's not enough just to hear the word of God and say you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus is saying you've also got to let it shine so that people will see that you not only listen, but do it. You shine by doing the word of God. That's how we can light up the world. Therefore, consider, he says as the application, how you listen. See, how you listen to the word of God shapes how we live it out. How you listen to the word of God shapes how we live it out. Don't miss this. When Jesus is given this illustration, he's saying how it comes in will affect then what comes out. How it comes in affects what comes out. Because remember, everybody's listening at the same time. Everybody's hearing these messages. Everybody hears the sermons on a Sunday. But it's only some that actually live it out. So we need to think carefully about how we listen. Now, you could ask Melissa that I could work a little bit on listening. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not the best listener. It's something I'm actively trying to work on. Because there are things. sometimes I hear things and I have to stop and say, could you repeat that? Because you said that whole thing. I don't remember a thing that you just said. Even if it was two seconds ago. Sometimes I have to ask multiple times. But that's the point. Sometimes it's hard to listen. Sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we're thinking about other things. Sometimes we're even busy multitasking. With our technology today, it's so easy. And some of you are watching right now, calling you out, because you're multitasking right now. We need to think even more carefully right now in this digital time how we listen. Because it is so easy to get distracted by everything. So think about it. Are we focused as we're listening? Are we asking the questions? Hey, even right now, if you miss something or you think I I said something a little funny, go back and listen to it again. We can do that. Isn't that pretty cool with our technology? This is one of the benefits of online church right now. We can watch it again, listen to it again. Say, did I get that right? Did I get it down into my soul? Maybe I need to listen to this a second time to make sure I, I take it and I apply it. Are we listening and how we're listening is important. So I want you to think in your own life, how am I listening to the Word of God? In Colossians 3.16, in Colossians 3.16, we're told to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. This means let it take up residence. Let it you know set up house in you. Okay? That means that it stays and it stays for a long time, okay? So when you let the word of God, when you hear it, To retain it means that you think about it. You know, in our faith, in the Judeo-Christian belief, we meditate on the Word of God. And meditation does not mean like it does in the Eastern religions, that you clear your head of everything. For the Christian, to meditate means to think strongly about something, to think about it and only focus on that thing. We think about the Word of God over and over again. What is Jesus saying? What does He mean? How does this apply in different aspects of my life? So I want to encourage you, how you listen should be meditating, chewing on it, thinking at it, memorizing it even, so that you think about it again and again and again. Let it dwell in you richly. It also is one of the reasons why at our community groups we discuss the message. See, we are convinced that the problem with Christians in our country is not that they don't have too much of the word. of I mean, that it, the problem is that they're not applying it, right? They're not applying the word of God to their life. They're getting so much. I remember growing up, you'd hear a sermon on Sunday, maybe another sermon Sunday night. Then you'd have a Bible study midweek and it'd all be different content. And then you're reading your own Bible during the week. Man, it's so much stuff. How do you even apply it all? It's hard enough to just apply one thing that God is saying to you that week. That's why we discuss the message again with a group of other people discussing it. Now, I, I know that our current situation is making discussion among community groups a little more different difficult, but we're really trying to, to have Zoom uh, chats or, or with Google Hangouts or some kind of online technology so that we can discuss together. But even if you're not in a community group or your community group hasn't figured out a way to use that technology, talk about it with the people you're around. Maybe you can comment right now on this video saying, hey, this is one way this applies to my life. You can call up a friend, text them. If you're with your family, talk about it at a meal today. Because discussing it actually makes us more actively dwell on the word of God so that it does begin to take roots in our soul. And then it will produce the fruit that we desire. So meditate on it, discuss it. And here's the third thing. Act on it. Act on it, okay? Take one thing that you learned and actually put it into practice. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to emphasize next. And this, man, this, this this third section of our passage today, Jesus is taking things up even a higher level. So don't miss this. Because as Jesus is talking to these crowds, there's the 12 disciples he's teaching, there's also this group of women, his financial background, there's huge crowds, and then show up his family. His mom and his brothers, it says. So this is Mary that we all know, plus his brothers. You may know later in the Bible, Jude, the book of Jude was written by one of his brothers. Uh, James was another one of Jesus' brothers. So we know two of them. But there was a, a group of these brothers that would have, of course, been the half-brothers of Jesus. And they're coming with Mary to go see Jesus. But when they come and, and some of the people in the crowd are saying, Hey, your family's here. Your mom and, and your brothers are here. Jesus, Jesus makes a huge point here. Because family isn't always important and family was especially important in those days. But Jesus replies to them in verse 21. He says, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Family is important. Jesus knows that. But even more important are those who actually do the word of God. Those who are my true disciples, my real followers, The ones who put it into practice. This would have shocked his listeners and it should shock us as well. But what Jesus is saying is the relationship that is formed by those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and are living it out is even stronger than the family ties. I've often said that blood is thicker than water, but Jesus's blood is thicker still. And what Jesus is saying, you must follow me and you must put my word into practice. Do it. We know this. With any skill you're trying to learn, you have to practice it. You don't go listen to a lecture on how to hit a baseball. You go out and hit some baseballs. If you're trying to learn carpentry, yeah, you can watch a YouTube video or or read some stuff about it, but you've actually got to get out the hammer, the wood, the nails, and work if you want to learn the skill of carpentry. For doctors, they may go through four years of undergrad, four years of med school, but then they still have to go through Residency, they still have to get more on-the-job training to practice it. Okay, It's the same thing with the Word of God. We hear it, but we've got to practice it. We've got to act on it. That's actually how we can begin to retain it and to put it into practice. I've often heard this when I've been coached on something. I had this one coach over the last year, Bruce Hoppler, who's been great to help me grow as a lead pastor. And he always says, whatever I teach you, in the next month, you have to put it into practice. If you don't practice it, you will lose it. And it's true. Let's be honest. We hear so much. There's so much content, so much information in our world that if we don't actively practice things, we'll lose it. We'll lose it. It gets lost in our heads. We're people that are prone to forget. We need to act on what we have heard, act on what we have learned. And that's what's important. Even uh, Gandhi, who, um, of course, from a different religion, knew about this. Gandhi Himself said, an ounce of practice is worth more than tons of preaching. An ounce of practice is worth more than tons of preaching. Now, of course, Jesus has been very clear the whole time. Hear, here, 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 here. We have to hear the word of God. It's not like that's unimportant. But we actually have to then put it into practice. Those are the people, Jesus says, are his mother, his brothers. James, Jesus' brother, who would later say this. I think he got the po- point when <laughs> Jesus made this when he showed up to hear him preach. James wrote, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There are a lot of people who have deceived themselves thinking that they are real disciples. Don't deceive yourselves. Do what Jesus says. Do what Jesus says. This is so important for us. We have a saying in our culture. That we, we let one thing in one ear and it goes out the other, right? In one ear and out the other. That's our saying because often we hear things and boom, it's just gone immediately. In one ear and out the other. But what Jesus is teaching us today is that we need to let God's word in both ears and live it out to one another. Let God's word in both ears and live it out to one another. That's really these three sections of Jesus saying the same thing over again. You've got to hear the word to listen to it. It's important. But how you listen is important. You've got to let it in both ears. Really let it sink down into your heart and then live it out in your life. Do what Jesus says. Do what Jesus says. Live it out. This is important. And even Jesus would model this for us, too. Did you know that Jesus always obeyed the word of God? Not once did he deter from it. He was obedient. He even said, my food is to do the will of God. That's how, that, like it's so much important to me. It's like eating food. Jesus did it and He was always obedient, even with His last breath. He knew that He would die on a cross and yet He wanted to be obedient to His Father in heaven, what God's Word had commanded Him to do. So He went to the cross, dying a criminal's death to atone for our sins. And in Jesus' obedience, The fact that he did the word of God, it purchased for us our forgiveness and our eternal life. And that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. Jesus modeled for us that we too must be obedient. And in his forgiveness, that purchased on the cross, we too can grow in his grace and obedience. Let God's word in both ears and live it out to one another. Live it out to one another. Now, I want to jump back for just a minute to the parable that Jesus told. Because whenever you study the parables, you should always notice for the things that are odd, the things that are weird, that don't make sense. Now, we often miss these things because we're not agricultural people. We're not living in the first century Palestine. But for Jesus, there's two things in this parable that I think are super odd. I don't know if you caught them. The first one, is the seed bearer himself. Because the person planting seed is planting seed all over the place. He's throwing it on the ground, he's throwing it on the path, he's throwing it in the rock. Nobody does that. If you're a farmer, you don't want to waste seed. Today, there's huge combines and there's rows that are measured out within the inch. They know exactly what they're going. They use GPS to make these rows uh, totally accurate and they don't put any seed on the road. I mean, that's foolish. You don't put it on the rock. So why is this going on? Well, Jesus, once again, is going to explain it at the end of the parable. If you look in verse 15, because he says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. See, it's the heart. See, we don't know what type of soil we're running into. Even Jesus didn't know because he was 100% human, just like us. He sowed the seed everywhere because you don't know what's the good soil and what's the rocky soil. We need to tell everyone the good news of Jesus. Preach the good God's word to every person who can hear. That's why we're having it online right now so everyone can hear. Maybe you're even sharing this stream or you're going to hear in just a second because you want everyone to hear God's word. Because we never know who will be the ones that has the good soil because we don't know what's in a person's heart. That's so important to us. And that was important to Jesus' investors too. He's saying, hey, I just got to tell everyone and I'm praying for those who will be the real disciples, who will hear it and do it. But then there's a second thing. And as an application to that, I just want you to realize it's not our job to judge either, Right? Because sometimes we think that person isn't a real disciple, but we don't know. Maybe the seed hasn't taken root yet. Maybe they're kind of a sleepy Christian right now that one day God will wake them up. Maybe even this message is going to wake up some people to become the real disciples of Jesus. We never know. It's not our job to judge what's good soil and what's not. Our job is just to keep going out there and spreading the seed, just like Jesus did. But then there's a second thing from this parable that was really, really odd. And I think we need to notice it. At the very end, uh, as he told the parable the first time in verse 8, he said, Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Why is this odd? Because a farmer in those days could have expected a two to four times yield from one seed. One seed could produce two or four fruit. But not so this seed. The seed of the word of God can produce a hundred times more than was sown. This is odd and unusual and should stand out to us because what Jesus is saying is, yes, there are many who hear and even say, I like Jesus. Seventy percent of our country who says, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd say I'm a Christian. But yet we know from our own life and from our observation that that's not the case. But what Jesus is saying is that the few that are the real disciples make so much bigger an impact than we could ever imagine. It is a multiplication impact. That those who hear the word, that it goes in both ears, that it comes out and lived out to others, actually has a way bigger impact than if the whole crowd had believed. See, it takes individuals who will faithfully follow Jesus, and God uses that to multiply to others. We see that in our own church with individuals like Kenton and Aaron Chan, who are prayerfully raising funds right now to become missionaries full-time in the nation of Bolivia. Go and support them. There are others like Grant and Leah Ryder. Grant, of course, is our community pastor, but they are prayerfully considering going out to be church planners right now because as missionaries and church planners go out, they will have hundreds and thousands of more people that they will be able to impact. It's multiplication. But it's not just people who are called into full-time vocational ministry. I think of the people right now who are willing, even with the dangers of our virus, to go down to Denver Rescue Mission and serve a meal because that's essential. There are still homeless people that are still hungry right now. And the people in our church that are willing to boldly go down there courageously, they're doing cautiously and wisely as well, but they're doing it to serve others, that has a multiplication impact in other people. It will impact a hundredfold more than what they're putting in. I'm seeing all over the place on social media, Media, people putting up words of hope and encouragement, not just despair, gloom, and fear that our media is giving right now. And those people are having a multiplication impact. Hundreds and thousands of people can be encouraged by a word of hope at this time. Or I think about our medical professionals. One of my neighbors is a doctor here and he works in the ICU here in Denver. He's a pulmonologist, so he is literally on the front line of this pandemic. And he told me this week that Matt, yeah, they haven't seen a ton of cases yet, but what's really terrible that they're dealing with is that people that are sick and even dying that are suspected of having the coronavirus have to be quarantined away from their family. People are dying right now away from their family, and it is only the medical professionals who are there on the front line. So if you're watching right now and you're a medical professional, if you're a doctor and you're a nurse, I want to say we love you. We're praying for you. We, we encourage you to continue to be courageous. Those who are working in hospitals, maybe even just there to clean up. That is so important. You guys are on the front lines and you guys can multiply your impact by being courageous and following the words of Jesus to love your neighbors and to serve them by serving them medically. It is so important what you are doing. That is a multiplication impact as you hear God's word and you live it out. As you live it out, and our world needs that today. Imagine if every single one of us that we're watching today was a real disciple, that we really went out to love our neighbors to serve them at such a time as this, when things are crazy, when our world is is it just seems like nobody knows what's going on. There's so much fear running amok. What if we were the ones who could step out boldly to love our neighbors, to serve the people in need? We will have a multiplication impact, a hundred times more than the seed that was sown in your heart. That is what Jesus is calling us. He's calling us to be those change agents. So what do we need to do? Well, there's a couple things. First off, Jesus gave this message to his financial backers you guys are watching, are our financial backers. We're going to continue to have church. So even though some of you are struggling financially or you're just worried about what's going to happen financially, we still need you to give. We, we still need you to give. If, if you're losing income right now or you lost your job, please reach out to us. We want to help you. And that's why I'm asking you to give, those who still have an income. It can be a fearful time, but that's why we need to step up in faith even more to give. So I'm asking you to give, go to stapletonchurch.com and give. You can even give to our benevolence fund because some people are saying, well, Matt, I I don't know. This isn't my church or I'm not sure this is my church or I don't know if I trust the church. Fine. 100% of every dollar that comes in will go out through our benevolence fund to help people in need. And there's going to be a lot of people in need at this time. We're already figuring out new and creative ways as you saw Grant earlier talk about to help people. So maybe give to our benevolence fund right now to give generously because as we give... We're following what Jesus commands us to. But the second thing I want to do is tell you to do the next thing. That's it. Do the next thing that Jesus is leading you to do. There's a great section from something that George MacDonald wrote years ago. He said, instead of asking yourself whether you believe or not, ask yourself whether you have this day done one thing because he said do it or once abstain because he said do not do it. And then he goes on. You can begin at once to be a disciple by obeying him, Jesus, in the first thing you can think of in which you are not obeying him. We must learn to obey him in everything and so must begin somewhere. Let it be at once and in the very next thing that lies at the door of our conscience. Jesus is laying something on your conscience right now. God's word is speaking to you and I want to challenge you to do that one thing right now, today, this week. Let God's word in both ears and live it out to one another. Let's pray. Lord God, I feel like you're commanding each one of us to take that step of obedience to be the real disciples. And I pray that you would stir in our conscience that we could go out and love people, serve people in even little things, words of encouragement, a gift, a financial gift. Maybe it's even giving someone food or or giving someone toilet paper who's in need, Lord God. Maybe it's helping an elderly neighbor with some things around the house that they're even afraid to go outside to do. Lord God, whatever it is, Lord, prick our conscience And let us do it, that your word would not just come in our ears and come in one ear and go out the other, but that it would come in both ears, that we would receive it, retain it, and produce it. That it would go in both ears and we would live it out to one another. Lord, help us be the real disciples. Help us be the change agents our world needs today. Amen.